Welcome to Midnight Flicks, a podcast dedicated to discussing movies relegated to a late night purgatory. I am one of your hosts, Adam Walker, and joining me as always is, I can't even read the full name, it's Man My Something. Man My Wife's Ass. Man My Wife's Ass is joining me once again. So... This is our uh, follow-up episode from our rock block of sequels, our gruesome yeah. twosomes. Gruesome twosomes. We'll we'll, re- we'll return to the gruesome twosome theme again because there's plenty I, uh plenty to choose from. We were talking about that, Krista and I were talking about how there's so many movies to talk about. There just wasn't enough time in it one month to do it all. You know, I'm sure. thinking about more even now. So, yeah. Well, even a uh, friend of the podcast, Patrick Fiorentino, had mentioned that he wanted to talk about uh, Troll 2 with us, which oh yeah, I, I would be more than happy to bring him on to discuss that because sure. that's that's definitely if there is a midnight flicks, by golly, Troll 2 is really in the pocket. It's in the so, pocket. So we'll have to bring him back on to talk about that when we do a, another uh, block of gruesome twosomes. But sure. we do need to talk about other things on this podcast. So here we are. We're into our regularly scheduled program. And tonight, uh, it's your pick. And this is a movie that, even before you were a part of the show, we're very insistent that we cover it. So I had it on my list to eventually get to. Right. And here we are. Sure. So uh, I will preface by saying that as much as I want to talk about this movie, and I think it's important to um, talk about, it is almost the antithesis of a movie we would typically talk about on here. It was actually a a made-for-TV movie when it first came out. Mm. Um, So kind of like the Terminator episode, this might come to any listener is kind of why the hell are you talking about it but see makes sense as we get into it i disagree i think this is a suitable movie to discuss i think it's a cult movie um it is a notable director's first movie and first time out it's based off of source material from an author that i think is notably also intertwined with cult cinema in my opinion yeah okay well so, with, no, with no further ado yes uh we're going to be talking about 1971's duel it's uh steven spielberg's first feature-length film mm-hmm. uh it was actually initially a 74 minute release um made for tv movie um let's see let's see if i can pull up it was uh, uh, it's a Richard Matheson story that he wrote. It was a short story written for it was in uh, Playboy magazine, and he um, adapted the story for the screenplay. Um, let's see, I'm trying to find. Oh, it was uh, a part of the ABC Movie of the Week series in November of 1971. So, um, kind of hard to not talk about the trivia while ta- introducing it. Um, sure. It 
after its initial release, which was 74 minutes, it was a, a made-for-TV film, um, Spielberg went back and he added some more footage. They shot some more footage in post to make it uh, come up to the 90-minute runtime for feature length. Yeah. Um, and then that's, I think, what probably most people have seen. I've actually never seen the original, original made-for-TV version. I've only seen it with the added scenes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's probably what the the, the world mostly knows. Um, budget for it was estimated around 450000 Um The gross, this is kind of weird. I think the... The number was a little off. I, I believe it's supposed to be two point five million. Mm. It says something like uh, two thousand five hundred and forty-four. I think that's just a goof. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was uh, Steven Spielberg's first um, major um, motion picture. Uh, the cast is really sparse. Um, really, the only notable person, Dennis Weaver plays the main character, uh, David Mann. Uh, Lou Frizzell is in it. I don't know if you're familiar with him at all. He did some kind of spots in some Twilight Zone episodes. Um, That's the bus driver, right? Yep. Yeah. The bus driver. And actually, he wouldn't even have been in this had they not shot the extra footage. That that bus scene is one of the extra shots. Mm. Um, Carrie Lofton, who is notable for being the you know, stunt driver for all kinds of movies. He, he was actually Christine technically in Christine. He did all the stunt driving for. Oh yeah. I think I did read that actually when we did the Christine episode. Yeah. So Carrie Lofton is the driver of the truck. Um, Synopsis, which I wrote, uh, David Mann, a meek mannered business commuter, is terrorized across the Southern California desert by a motiveless truck driver intent on murder, invigorating man's survival instinct and his will to fight back. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it's just this movie, I think probably for most people, this movie is not, you know, something new on the radar. Um, like I said, it was made for TV. I've seen it since I was a kid. My mom really liked it, you know, pointed it out to me. Uh, it's a pretty unassuming movie when it starts out. Like the credits and everything right down to the font. Yeah. Just like, well, is this a Western? Right. <laughs> you know? Right. Um, and then it gets really suspenseful pretty quickly. Um, but I've always been attracted to this movie. Anytime it would come on, like turn to classic movies or something, I would – kind of put whatever I was doing on hold to watch, watch the picture. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know if you, have you read much Richard Matheson? Yeah, I actually really like Richard Matheson. Me too. I, I, I think for the layman, I would say he's like a 1950s answer to Stephen King. He's written lots of, um, you know, science fiction, um, Lots of stories for Twilight Zone. He did uh, movies that were adapted to motion pictures. I Am Legend, I think, has been done three fucking times. Uh, he did Stir of Echoes. Yeah, um, yeah I'm drawing a blank on some others, but he's done the, tons of them. The trilogy of terror movie was based all off of right. Richard Matheson stories. 
yeah as well yeah and you know he he would a lot of his stories would uh, play on the psycho psychological like nightmare on 20,000 feet terror at 30,000 feet as I think is what they called it in uh, the Twilight Zone remake yeah you know this kind of am I going nuts is this really happening kind of thing and this movie is really no different Um, Steven Spielberg did a really good job adapting from the story which um, this movie is easier to kind of um, it's more palatable I think if you read the book Mm -hmm. uh, because it goes a little more into the inner dialogue of David Mann's character Um, but just for like a straight to, you know, watching it, this movie and being entertained for something as sparse as the plot is, um, it's entertaining throughout. You know, it keeps it keeps you kind of guessing what's going to happen. Keeps you on the edge of your seat. Yeah, certainly. Um, I watch it very regularly. I have it in my in my VHS collection. And I still get that like butterflies tense feeling in some of the scenes. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So that's just kind of, this movie's pretty special to me. Um, you know, nostalgic, but watching it again to get ready for this episode, I, I go, yeah, okay. They, I definitely. It hasn't lost things over time for me, you know. Um, it still holds its luster uh, as far as like a suspense kind of psychological thriller movie. I agree. It really holds up. Richard Matheson has been on my mind recently because I have been reading a book that I just got called Shock Value that basically discuss quintessential U.S. horror directors from the 60s and 70s that basically brought horror as a genre fully formed into the public consciousness. And, of course, they talk about George Romero. And I also went back and I rewatched Night of the Living Dead. And Night of the Living Dead is essentially just a readaptation of I Am Legend Mm -hmm. in a kind of into a different sort of it's almost a, a, an it's almost an exact duplication in a lot of ways. Yeah. Instead of vampires, they're just flesh eating ghouls. Sure. Um, because that's the thing, Romero. He stated, "I never intended for people to perceive them as zombies. I always no. equated zombies with the Haitian Jamaican tradition, the, vo- the voodoo, voodoo cult." Right. Stuff. No. So he was never his intent to make them out to be zombies. It was they were ghouls. We didn't know why they were cannibalistic undead people. Right. <laughs> there was no rhyme or reason really, other than some weird space fluke yeah. <laughs> that it affected that affected the atmosphere right. of well, Earth. The the cool thing about this story um, unlike a lot of, you know, the sci-fi stuff of the, the time is that this is completely something that can happen and yeah. does happen. I mean, this yeah. is like proto road rage, right? Mm. Um, and so it makes it all the more terrifying when you just think that stranger danger, you really don't know who is behind the wheel. 
You know, yeah. you don't know who you're next to. You know, people are so worried about strangers. Well, you get in your car every day and you don't think about it. You know, who, what, what the person in the car next to you, this is their last like straw. You know, you cut them off or something. That's it. This is their day to just fucking go absolutely insane. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and going into the book, it kind of extrapolates and expands more on David Mann's character because this dude is a total like cuckold. He's total <laughs> sub fucking meek mewling person. Yeah. You know, we see a scene where he he's having a confrontation over the phone with his wife and how he just has no backbone to stand up and do anything. And um, he's kind of put to the test by this truck on the road. And it's almost like there's in the book, it's almost like there's a little bit of like a a psychic thing going on here. It's almost like the the driver of the truck is trying to get something out of him to help man in his life. You know, it's like he's given this gift in the final act that he now can stand up for himself. Right. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, Well, that being said, we do have our, our beloved sponsor uh, to, to shout out for this episode. And who is it tonight? Uh, so it's D man's balls in a can gumption tonic feeling dejected fear confrontation D man's gumption tonic will make you stand up to anyone and punch back to the hecklers, the road ragers, even your wife. I could uh, use a little of that gumption tonic from time to time. You know what I mean? We all could. I tell you what. So thank you. D man's for providing a product that is much needed. So hats off to you. Hats, hats off. Let's, uh, let's (laughs) chug a can of that and uh, get behind the wheel for a nice Bakersfield drive. You know, (laughs) you know, I've definitely, uh, I've, I've, I've swigged some D man's in my time. Some gumption tea, some gumption tonic. I've been, both on the receiving and the uh, the giving end of the road raging. Oh yeah. See, I mean, we we've covered lots of ground together. Whatever, being on tour and stuff. I don't get like that. Yeah. I don't. I mean, I I get I get pissed at stupid drivers, but I am what some would call a fucking stupid driver. I'm very safe. I yeah. don't take risks, you know? Um, and that's good. It's just, there's like, to me, there's too much shit to risk, but there's a lot of people out there. And it's just, you know, Hey, live fast and loose. Uh, what does let me say? Born to lose, live to win. But in this yeah. case, I'm just, uh, living long enough to kill someone out on the highway. <laughs> I've chilled out. Pretty significantly. When I moved here, though, to Seattle and had to deal with getting acclimated to the drivers here and just the congestion that is very specific to this area, my golly, I thought there was a few times where I thought 
my heart was gonna just burst. Man, I thought the- I, thought I was gonna have a heart attack because I was just so fucking mad all the time. <laughs> yeah, the the inept on the fucking phone downtown when you're trying to make the you know four o'clock ferry. Yeah, and you can't turn left because there's all the tourists walking in the crosswalk. Mm-hmm. And that one chance you got to go dipshits on his phone in front of you and he doesn't turn. Yeah, if I was in a fucking old greasy 18 wheeler, I'd probably just fucking put that shit right in neutral and just roll on over him. Mow him over. Fuck him. Fuck him. <laughs> Precisely. So, that being said, unless you have anything else to offer, um, no. Uh, off the top there. Let's keep her let's keep her trucking. Keep her trucking like an 18-wheeler. Convoy. Yeah. Like Hong a, Kong. Like a speed dealer. Like an 18-wheeler. I want you to cut it out. What? Just just cut it out, okay? For where? Now, come on, I mean, please, I, I don't, let's not play games. What the hell are you talking about? I'm calling police. Police? You think that I won't? You're wrong, mister. You, you, if you think you can take that, that truck of yours and just use it as a murder weapon, just <laughs> killing people on the highway, well, you're wrong. You've got another thing coming. I you need help. Don't you tell me I need help. So, we got our goods, we got our bads, we got our questionables that we like to roll out, starting with the goods. So, uh, yeah. go ahead, um, my man, take uh, the wheel. <laughs> take the wheel. So, yeah, um, it's it's kind of perplexing to me that a movie can be so interesting with having such little plot scenery uh, cast to work with. But I watched this movie almost more than any movie I can think of in, in my life. RoboCop two is up there. The road, the road warrior, my cousin Vinny, this movie for sure is, in the top five movies that I've seen the most. And I still love it. The pacing for, for what you're dealing with, the pacing is good. I really like the inner monologue that helps to kind of um, propel the character characters. Not really the fact that there is a inanimate object as the main villain. Um, and it's interesting. I, I love that. I love the score. It mm. actually, it felt a lot like the score from the first Psycho. Did you, were you picking that up at all? Yeah, I can see that a little bit there, where there's that kind of experimental uh, sound big, design. Yeah, big orchest- orchestral parts and things. It's uh, but then, but then there's the the non-orchestral parts where it, yeah, it's you know they're utilizing these kind of percussive sounds to create that that suspenseful atmosphere yeah and it really does for me i mean mm-hmm. the the um 
the mixing of the audio where it's because I mean most of the movie is just the sound of this roaring diesel engine mm-hmm. coming up behind this guy. Um and just the the ability to to make so much out of so little. I mean, I think that that is at the core of what we talk about in the general movies we talk about in on this podcast is people getting creative on a low budget, people getting creative when they don't have a lot of tools to work with. You know, a thing that makes this movie so suspenseful is the camera work. Yeah. Um and just, you know, getting those low shots right at the wheels and this truck, the set, like the set design, it's all shot on, on set. You know, it's, it's a, a loop. It's like a, I don't know, five mile loop or something in, in Southern California, I think around Bakersfield or San Clarita or something. Yeah. But they utilize that by sh- shooting on one side of the road, shooting side shots you know, long shots and then shooting on the other side of the road to get the other landscape because they only had so much to work with for a full length movie. So, you know, the, um, the effort that went into it to, to bring what we see, I really appreciate that. But just throughout, um, I like, I like David Mann's character. I like Dennis Weaver's character as in he's very believable like this whole thing definitely could happen. You know, this could have been a dramatization of something that did happen the way that it rolls out. Well, and it was. Yeah. It was like, based off of a it was based off of a incident that happened to Richard Matheson. To Richard Matheson, right. Yeah. Um I I like uh the cafe scene a lot, you yeah, know, it's because great. up until that scene, it's just like, okay playing cat and mouse with this 18 wheeler on the highway. And then he starts to try and deduce who is doing this to him. And the whole inner monologue that's going on there. And Mm -hmm. well, if I do this, you know, do I try contact or how's that going to go down? It's just, um, it does, it does something for a person like me who typically questions a lot of bullshit in movies. Yeah. Little little stuff that shouldn't matter to most people, you know. That is um, that scene. Uh, you know, it takes like an extra five minutes, even less, to just have the character deduce all of his his scenarios in his head, and that that uh, diffuses tons of questions for me. So I uh, appreciate that, and. Um, I don't know. I I just there's something kind of magical about this movie, you know, for me. Um I think what it what it does better than a lot of movies, a lot of suspense or horror is it gives you a genuine feeling of being anxious and terrified, which yeah. is it's when you're somebody that watches a lot of horror horror movies or is interested in fringe cultural things or fringe behavior or has been has seen a lot you get further desensitized by that stuff and it's one of those movies that for me when i watch it it still can conjure those feelings in me despite 
being in a lot of ways desensitized to having that kind of emotional response to art. Right. So I like it for that. It holds up really well in that regard because it is so realistic. The premise, most people have dealt with it. If you drove, especially if you, if you've drove a vehicle across country. Yeah. Especially again, as touring musicians, where you're constantly on the highway and you're constantly having to have that concentrated focus on everything around you. Yeah. Your head's always on a swivel. You're always having to not only pay attention to what you're doing, but pay attention to literally everybody else that's driving around you when you know full and well that there are there's a high margin of people that are crazy or stupid or incompetent that are in these death machines around you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and to me, this is a very American movie in the sense that it talks about the perils of automobiles and automobile culture. Yeah. You know, I agree. And, and, and how it brings the worst out in people in a lot of ways, how on the one hand, it's great because yeah, it's great to have a vehicle that you can just hop into and go, Go wherever you want, whatever, you know, you're not reliant on public transit, but there's so many other, there's so much more bad. There's so many more cons to it. And this is just one of those instances of dealing with this sort of incident. It's like a, yeah, it's like a power struggle. I mean, it's, it's just like anything. It's like uh, when people have the discussion about guns you know yeah and people go oh well you're a tough guy because you got a gun well let's let's see you when you don't have the fucking gun let's see how tough you are well i'm a tough guy because i've got a fucking semi truck (laughs) and you're in a like a plymouth fury or dodge dart a valiant (laughs) exactly (laughs) right but that that brings me to another good is that we don't know why the truck driver is doing this. Yeah, it just he, it just happens, and now it is just a force of nature and a fact of your of of Dennis Mann's new life, is that he has this thing that he has to um, overcome. You know, and that's what I mean. You don't know what's going on in the minds of other people that are driving around you, right. and you can you can on a bad day have an interaction with somebody who is a pure sadist yeah, and is driving a monster. Yeah. The, the, the big rig is a monster. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> I, I will just, just like a little fact of reality. My, my brother drives a concrete truck for work. He has for yeah. the last 20 years. And um, when he first started that job, an old lady ran the red light and T-boned him. Mm-hmm. Or like brake failure or something. Anyway, yeah. he's all freaked out that, you know, I'm new on this job and I hit someone. It's like, no, you didn't do it. And you're you're free of all wrongdoing. Mm. He got hit, didn't even know. Right. Didn't even fucking know. Got out, shit's totaled. Looks like a fucking opened up tuna can. You know, what something like that can do to a person unintentionally. But in this film... This truck is after this guy and he's constantly fucking with him. Mm. I mean, at any point he could, he could get him. He turns around 
and goes back to Chuck's cafe and he waits, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I mean, that is like calculated predatory sadism or maybe yeah, it he- isn't. Maybe, maybe he's out to try and, like I said, like as, in the book, it comes off like he's trying to help this guy somehow. It's like a proving ground. Yeah. You're either going to make it or you're not. And if you make it, you can you can stand up to anything. Right. He just sees this peckerwood out on the highway and he, he says, oh. I got to teach him a lesson. Got to educate him. Right. <laughs> um, so I really love the almost stream of consciousness banter that's happening on that radio program in the very beginning. <laughs> Whatever is going on with uh, yeah. that, where it's good. they're having a conversation with the noise artist, the noise musician. Yeah. I and play I play meat. That line right there. I love it. I play meat. You know, pork, beef. <laughs> oh, that's sick, man. That's sick. Yeah. <laughs> that's really good. Um, when he goes to the first gas station and he's dealing with that, that fucking uh, yokel ass attendant. Yeah. And the guy, guy's... The, the Andy Griffith looking motherfucker. Right. That's what I was trying to think. Like the Gomer Pyle. Yeah, and he's it's talking just, to talking just, to David Mann, and he pulls he pulls the the gas <laughs> nozzle out, and it's just like whizzing all he over. Just dumps all over his huh. car, fucking gas everywhere. It's like back then too. In the seventies, did they still have lead? He says Ethel, and she goes, Ethel. "Well, hope Ethel don't mind." And he starts yeah. pouring it in, but fuck man, just yeah. He dumped like a fucking half a gallon of gas all up in his trunk. <laughs> yeah. So good. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's there's that dialogue he's having there in the gas station with his wife where truly you're starting to you're starting to get the idea more and more that this is and he makes that he makes that that comment where he's like, well, I'm not the boss at home. Right. Yeah. He's, not my he's, house. Not in my house. We're starting to get the impression, okay, this guy is kind of, he's neutered. He's in a feet, just peckerwood or whatever. And yeah. Yeah. So I like that whole thing. I love, obviously, the, what we were saying, the diner scene where he's just panicking. And yeah. he's not able to think clearly at all about what move to make next. Right. And where everybody in the diner, could be the potential driver. Sure. Could because be you enemy. see the one thing we know, he's wearing brown cowboy boots and he's wearing like Wrangler jeans, blue jeans. We see him yeah. kick the tires when he stops at that first gas station, but that's it. So yeah. then you get the scene in Chuck's Cafe and wouldn't you know it, four of the fucking five people in there have blue jeans and brown cowboy boots. Could be any of them, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's kind of like almost in a way this fish out of water sort of scenario yeah. where you have a very, very weak man in these masculine, macho sort of environments and scenarios. Right. And he doesn't know what to do. So he's just freaking out. 
yeah. freaking out. He's not, it's not his like, you know, somebody that has a little bit more confidence and, and self-assurance in, in those scenarios, they would make a different decision. They would be more confrontational in those sort of things. And he tries at that one point to confront, but he confronts the wrong guy. Yep. And he, and he gets his ass handed to him. Sure does. Well, and, <laughs> and the Spielberg did a really good job in packing a lot of punch with a little amount of dialogue as possible. You right. know, the inner turmoils that he is having throughout um, Chuck's cafe, that monologue when he goes into the bathroom, yeah. he's talking about, you know, this thing is inconvenient on the road. Could take you 30 minutes out of your whole life. And now it's just like you're back in the jungle again, you know? Yeah. Um, and that whole thing. And when I read the book, I it was that could maybe be taken a couple different ways, you know, cause this is right after the end tail end of Vietnam. It's like, I wonder if David Mann serves some time and that's what he means by the jungle or he means by the jungle, like the primalness of people, or he means back in the city or a little bit of all of it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, he's just constantly cannot, put his foot down about anything. I really like how in Chuck's cafe, he kind of, it shows that mocking the scenarios where he walks up to the one guy, first person, you know, Hey, I think you ought to lay off and he blows smoke in his face. Okay. That's how, you know, it's like, that is the mindset of kind of a weak person. Like, Oh, well I can't stand up this person. This is what's going to happen. Right. You know, that kind of thing. I thought that's great, but the rising, just the constant ramping up the pressure when he gets to the, the hill and you know, he's doing 90 for a while. Oh, leading up to that part, his inner dialogue about he must have some souped up diesel. I, I just can't keep up in my little car. I, I, I can't drive 80 and 90 miles an hour at a time. I, and if I stop focusing, I'll go back to 60 or 70. I just can't help it. It's He's just getting so mm-hmm. worked up in himself. And when he gets to that point when he needs to be driving 90 and his radiator blows, <laughs> oh, my God. The, the cinematography of constantly showing the blinking gauges and the rising oh, yeah. temperature and the smoke and then his face. Come on. He's trying to get to the top of the hill. Oh, and just talking about that scene is like getting my fucking my heart racing. Yeah, it's wonderful. The 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 real close up scenes on his face where he's panicking. Um, yeah, that's the thing. They do a really good job of utilizing every kind of shot in yeah. this movie. Really beautiful long shots showing the desert, showing yep. the sky. You know, showing him. You know. The backdrop behind him, mm-hmm. um, and then those, yeah, just the a being of the internal struggle that he's dealing with in his car, and 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 the panicking with the outside, like enormity of the of the desert and how desolate it is, and how helpless it makes helpless. someone feel. Because there's nothing it's a, around. It's a total void aside from Chuck's cafe, and even the people he sees on the road, none of them help him. They think he's crazy. The one guy he thinks is a cop is actually like a bug uh, uh, exterminator car. I I love that um, 
kind of fake out there. Yeah. Where yeah. he's approaching like, oh, there's clearly a police officer. And yeah, it's an exterminator just broke down on the side of the road. Right. And it's it's almost like everybody is like gaslighting him where, yeah. you know, what just happened back there, mister? Well, a truck tried to kill me, you know, on the highway. He's like, what? He tried to kill you? Right. You didn't see him, you know? He can't even stand up to the children. The children are mocking him. Oh, Everybody's mocking him. The, yeah. The yeah. pressed faces of the children just snickering and right. sticking their tongue out at him and blowing raspberries at him. And He's the total ultimate wet blanket. You yeah. Know? He just cannot get it together. Um, which is which is a, a great casting choice in my opinion in my opinion because as far as what I know of Dennis Weaver he he typically was put in more masculine type roles and so this yeah. is a way of utilizing him in a different way right well and it's clear that his his ability to uh, have a dynamic character because he's essentially having dialogue with himself. He talks to a couple of people in, in the movie, but you know, it's kind of like how you see in these movies with all of his CGI and stuff, how they, Oh, to make it look realistic, they green screen it, but they have him talking to a tennis ball or something. It's like <laughs> yeah. prior to all of that, you know, it's like how yeah. are we going to make this interesting by him having this turmoil within himself, you know? And then the, the, Another thing that's really great is the kind of mentioned demonizing an inanimate object, but making that truck look like it just come crawling out of the depths of hell. It's just greasy and fucking rusty and gross. Yeah. That there's, there's nothing about that truck that doesn't scream. I want to kill you, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, the snake lady, that whole scene too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the snake-a-rama or the fucking snake shack, whatever it's called. Yeah, because again, that's another that's taken from real life. There, if you if you've ever taken a trip through, through the desert, those, New Mexico, the desert, Arizona. Of, yep, there's some weirdos off the beaten path there they have those little gas stations and little outposts yeah yep so. So peddling their uh fine and freakish wares right <laughs> right exactly yeah 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 uh i don't know at this point i feel like i'm just going to start talking in circles but man this movie as far as just ramping up the tension and making a person feel general unease, uh, it's a knockout. It, it aces that for sure. Yeah, I agree. Um, you want to move on? Yeah. Do you have any bads? Uh, only one real bad. Um, and that is the school bus scene. Now, this whole... I, I kind of mentioned it's hard to talk about this without talking a little bit about trivia, but there's, uh, let's see, three three or four major scenes that weren't in the initial um, TV movie. That is the very beginning when he's pulling out of the 
garage and it shows him kind of like elapsed time going through the city, getting his way out to the country. That wasn't there originally. Um, interestingly, the conversation with his wife wasn't in the original picture, which I think that was a definitely a good move to put in there that helps establish the character and how he is kind of a weakling. Yeah, I agree. Um, uh, the school bus scene and the railroad track when he's getting pushed, you know, he kind of uh, across the track by the truck. Those were never there before. They were added to kind of fill out the runtime. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, whatever motion pictures, they have to be like 90 minutes to be feature length films. Yeah. So you had to bump it up almost 20 minutes with all that crap. Most of those are good. The only scenes that I definitely could go without is the is the Lou Frizzell cameo bus scene. You okay. know, just uh, I mean, it just seems like you could have come up with any other thing. You could have come up with just a broke down car and a family in a you know station wagon or something. Like the bus is so weird. We see the no man's land he's driving through and just out. I mean, he's been out there for hours from what we can tell and just way the fuck out here. There's a school bus commuting to school, <laughs> you know, yeah. and he's, we're going to use this fucking valiant to push a bus and just like the, the, the teasing kids and them running around. I mean, it's just kind of like, it definitely feels like bloat for bloat's sake. And that's what it was. But with as creative as everything else is, that same amount of time that, you know, filler time could have been used for something a little more um, practical, realistic. Another terrifying scene rolled out in a different way. But that's really it. I mean, it's pretty small potatoes as far as my bad. Yeah, I can see that being a criticism. I think obviously the main reason why it was it would have been put in there is to again further emphasize how much of a weakling he is because he's getting bullied by children <laughs> oh, as well. <laughs> every every, you know, demographic of person is pushing this guy around. Yeah, and it kind of shows how temperamental he can be. Don't right. stand up. You're going to dent the hood. But then right. when it comes when down it, to it, just fucking jump on it. I don't care. Get me right. away from which, it. Totally, which that's all funny because his car has already been fucked up because he ran it into a... Uh, a, a guardrail or a fence a, post. A, a fence post. So yeah. why is he concerned about the hood getting dented by some children? Yeah. 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 Um, And again, you know, it's it's kind of laying into a little too heavy handedly that whole you're crazy kind of thing, because then what does the truck do? It shows up, but it helps the fucking bus out. And, you know, uh, the bus driver thinks, you know, it's like, oh, if I was judging, if I was judging who's crazy out here, I'd say it's you or whatever, whatever he says. It's like low hanging fruit. I don't know. It's just kind of kind of cheap. But um, fair enough. Um, 
I didn't really have anything bad. So, yeah, I mean, like I said, minor. What, yeah. what, what, what little missteps you can take in a movie that's so sparse like this, you know, I don't care. I mean, it's, it's a bad, but I really had to, I really had to pick around to even pull that out. Yeah, because of a movie like this, if it was to have any bad, I could see potentially, which it doesn't, but I could see a a technical misstep being in in pacing, but the pacing's not an issue. But I could yeah. see somebody else doing that wrong with sure. this type of movie. Well, okay, so from other people's perspectives, like Krista, you know, people I've shown this movie to, they can get bored when they're watching it. It's like I think the only the only thing I can rash in my mind rationalize why someone would get bored is because they weren't fully committed to watching it. They're kind of half yeah. watching it. And it just yeah. seems boring. But if you're if you come into it with no interruptions and you're watching the film as you would watch any other movie you are interested in, it grabs you and is you know really really tense through the entire thing and, and mm-hmm. that scene included i mean that i guess it kind of helps expand david's like uh, fear of this driver this trucker you know when he comes back around and well fuck it i will jump on the car to get it out of here i'll do anything i can to get out of this situation you know yeah it's almost trying to kind of indicate that to a certain extent yeah the 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 driver and the threat is all completely in his head he's all making more of it than it really is because right. figment of his imagination yeah <laughs> right and of course the truck runs bulldozes the snake around ladies <laughs> hell yeah he does that's the only time where really the 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 truck involves innocent collateral yeah into the duel between him and and David Mann right cuz well, any yeah, other time yeah. he's intentionally avoiding trying to give off that this is just a malicious chaotic individual no he has a target right that he's pursuing yeah and i now that i think about it what an apt title for this story duel it is Completely the truck, completely David Mann throughout. The, the Snake-O-Rama has the only exception. And that's not even, that's just like, he's plowing, it's a means to an end. He doesn't want to fuck that lady up. He just needs to get through that to get to his target. Yeah. Yeah, this movie too, it's one of those type of movies that Pat and I, we've discussed. It was like one of Pat's favorite kind of themes is the movie that takes place all across one day. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's important to me as well. Um, just because that's relatable too, right? I mean, yeah. it's the stress of what can happen in the in, in, in this movie in the heat and the like boiling heat. I mean, it's hard enough to deal with doing tours and driving across the Southwest in like a modern vehicle. Imagine being in that fucking thing, driving through the desert in the middle of the afternoon, you know, AC is not great. Maybe you don't even use it. And then you've got this just 
fucking marauding semi truck after you, you know, that that'll definitely up the tension and make everything, uh, make your day a real, a real fucker, you know? Yeah. In certain ways, I don't know how much it might've been an influence, but I could see the DNA of this movie entering into things like Jaws. Yeah, sure. Spielberg, your shirt, uh, also falling down. Yeah. Another all happens in one day sort of scenario. And in uh, California. And in California. Um, even as far as the heat being an oppressive factor and creating tension, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. Obviously, essential yep. to creating the mood in that movie. Wouldn't have been the same without creating that clearly just emanating from the screen. Yeah. The heat <laughs> and how just how claustrophobic and oppressive and oppressive it's making it. Absolutely oppressive. I mean, that definitely, I live in Arizona. I mean, yeah, so, you know, I, I understand the difference between a day when the sun isn't out and a day when you're in the desert and, uh, you are ready to just go off because <laughs> you know you you your brain is boiling out of your fucking eyeballs right yeah <laughs> so oh okay questions i feel like we've talked about this before um in terms of questions yeah. that you have specifically about maybe the uh the things that David Mann could have done differently. Uh, there's really one burning question that anybody should be asking them at any point in time. Why didn't he just turn around and go home? You know, yeah. why didn't he just like uh, stay at Chuck's cafe or yeah. all together? I mean, he says, Hey, I'm oh, not going to make that appointment now. Cool. You don't have any reason to go where you're going. Just turn around. Just go home, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I think the, ol the only reason why maybe that is not a tactic that would have been utilized in this sort of scenario is, again, he's not thinking straight. He's not thinking clearly. That's So that's always a thing to consider with his actions getting the best of him. Yes. Yeah. He's, he's frantic. He's not able to calm down enough to do what would be the rational thing. So, and I think, cause I kept thinking about that too. I was, I was going over in my head. Well, what if he just did this instead to somehow in the pursuit or sense, get, get the, the truck driver off his scent. But I think that's the whole point is he, it doesn't matter. Like if he waited at Chuck's all day, that truck is going to sit there right. all day. Right. Yeah, these these are things that we're not supposed to ask. And actually, Spielberg did go to a little bit of a length to show, you know, David Mann, he he does some quick, you know, U-turn, flipperoo, and he he gets pulled back off the highway and the truck goes passing him. He's like, Well, I'm just gonna wait for an hour. And he takes a nap, he gets freaked out, he the truck's coming, but it's actually the train. He gets startled mm -hmm. awake, he's been asleep for some time. Gets back out on the road. Everything's fine. Doing his 30, 40 wet blanket David Mann thing. And then there's the truck waiting for him. It's like yeah. he, he knew somehow that he wasn't out on the road. So, you know, I think that you're supposed to 
take from that that this truck is tied to him now. Doesn't matter if he turns around, somehow he's going to know. Doesn't matter if he stops, somehow he's going to know. And actually, this is what I was saying off the top in that it helps to understand David Mann's character if you have read the book. Mm-hmm. Because it plays more into his um, determination to prove something to himself. But, you know, this is just another example of somebody trying to set me back, trying to put their foot on me. And today, this guy might, you know, might be this dude's day to f- just snap. But it's my day to say no more. No mm-hmm. more letting fucking people walk on me. So it's kind of like a more psycho in his, you know, mental determination thing um, than anything. At least that's how I read his character from the book. So it is a question, though. I mean, if he is in full terror mode, push a little harder to get that phone and call the cops when you're at Chuck's Cafe. <laughs> yeah, you know? or or the old people that he stops on the road. Like he's just not explaining it well to her. She's like, "I'm just asking you to make a phone call." It's like, no, <laughs> explain this semi truck has been fucking terrorizing you for the last hundred miles. You know? Yeah, and it's just. But again, it's like I'm wondering what I would do in that sort of scenario if I was. If you were driving in the middle of the desert, the winding roads, there's nothing around. You see this guy just flagging you down, flailing his arms. Yeah, would you stop and would you would you believe them? Yeah, it's a good question because <laughs> uh, there's another thing that gets on people who have been driving a lot also. And that's, well, I can't go back. You know, that happened back there. I can't turn around now. It's just, it becomes like this irrational thought. And then especially when you're in oppressive heat in the desert and stuff like that, man knows he's he's driven through nothing for the last however long it's taken since the morning when he left his house. For him to turn around now, he knows there's not shit back the way he came that's going to help him in his, you know, struggle so yeah. maybe that's something that it plays into his mind um but uh yeah it's it's kind of like this movie i kind of think of it like that movie the hitcher where mm. you know see thomas howell's character is asking him what do you want and he goes i want you to stop me yeah it's like this right. semi truck has got all these license plates on the front and you know Again, a little tidbit of the trivia, Spielberg said that that is to suggest that he's done this state after state after state to other They're trophies. people. They're trophies, right. Yeah. So, you know, maybe this truck is after him. Every, vic- every victim, he's just like, I want, I want you to do something about it. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. And that's funny that you bring up the hitcher, too, because there's parallels in that sense with this. And just this idea that maybe it isn't just a truck driver that just decided that day he was going to fuck with somebody. Maybe he is legitimately a serial killer. Right. That is 
pursuing people on the road in this way. Yeah. He, get, he gets off on, on it. Well, right. I mean, it's kind of like, um, you know, holding someone at gunpoint and walking them to the edge, right? Well, what yeah. what is your alternative? I have a gun. You're either going to jump or you're not. It's like, I have a, a fucking 18-wheeler. You're going to stand up to me in your little fucking doofus car? I'm going to run you over. Yeah. You know? So what are you going to do? It becomes like a psychological head fuck. Yeah. And I think it's a really smart move to make the driver faceless, to make yeah. the, make it almost seem like, and and that's the thing. Obviously, Spielberg does that well with Jaws. He right. he took that idea and he 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 also applied it to other things where he he creates this terrifying experience, not so much by what he's showing, but what he is holding back from showing yeah what he what he's obscuring from the viewer because it's the same thing with jaws but that was out of necessity because the 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 shark the shark robot didn't work properly right Right. so they had to figure out ways to shoot the movie to get it done in time that would still be convincing sure so yeah it's a kind of a similar sort of thing in that way too well so another question I, I, as we talk about it, I kind of think about other things. But yeah, the other question, major question that I really have is when the truck in the final act is going head on with the with David Mann's car. I had questions about that as well. He's got to see that he's hanging out the car, right? Yeah, right. So why I doesn't mean, he stop? Why, is why does he, he stop? keep plowing it's, the car? It, does he? Is this a death wish? Does he want to? I mean, he's in a truck. He's got a way better vantage point that high up to see that that's a cliff that he's going towards. And he just fucking bulldozes on through anyway, you know? And maybe that would kind of be explained by what you were saying by tying it into the whole hitcher analogy that... Maybe that's the thing. Maybe he just wanted to be stopped. He he met his match. Right. At this point, he knows he's terrorized this guy enough that the final outcome is his death or man's death. And even mm. with man's death, I mean, it's kind of hard to, to uh, explain away that your truck is covered in red paint. <laughs> There's a fucking, you know. Mm-hmm. The wreckage of your vehicle. How, well, how'd you get in this accident? You know, kind of yeah. thing. So, yeah, it's, it's maybe maybe it is a maybe today is his ending game. No matter what. Yeah, yeah. That was my primary question. Was the end scene as far as explaining what the motivation was behind just plowing the car off the cliff as opposed to stopping. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, I I know it's a little out of order, but I want to mention one more good is that when the truck goes over to our modern sensibilities, you just totally expect it's going to explode. Yeah. You know, it's a flammable, says a huge on the side of the tank. It doesn't. And that even when I watch it now and just that slow, it shows the instrument clusters in the truck. It shows the fan going the tires slowing down and spinning. 
you know, all the wreckage in this kind of slow way, you think something is going to happen and it doesn't. It's like this movie almost has a strength in what it doesn't do as opposed to what it does. Right. And I had that thought too, where we're conditioned as viewers at this point to expect like with the Terminator. Yeah. You think that the Terminator's done with, right. But somehow it keeps going. There's some climax always. Right. So there's, there's, there's the false ending. So you kind of, yeah, I got the same feeling too with this where you think, okay, there's something that's going to happen. This isn't the end. What are we in for? But it is. It's mm-hmm. just like you just see the death of the beast. Yep. In you know, in real time there. And yeah, I think that was really smart as well. Cause I think at that point with cinema, the whole idea of the false ending in thrillers and horror wasn't a well established trope. Right. It was something that was kind of kind of entered into the mechanics of screenwriting later more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I would agree because 71, I, you know, I didn't thinking about this movie as far as like horror. I mean, you know, you've got the Hitchcock kind of thing. That's totally in the camp of psychological terror like this. Is. Yeah. Yeah. But what's coming before this that isn't just out and out, the monster or whatever, you know, you've got all the creature feature flicks. That's like 50s, 60s kind of stuff. And then this movie comes along and it's, I don't know. It's kind of, it's like a sleeper. It's a sleeper. It's almost like an existential dread because Mm. it makes you not want to get in a car. (laughs) You know, I mean, it like fucks you as the viewer up. And just imagine the characters, David, man, imagine how traumatized he would have to be after his experience. Yeah, I could see this movie definitely being one of those sort of instances where if you saw it at a certain time or you saw it young enough, you you hear about people talking about stories about, well, I saw The Exorcist when I was this young and it made me terrified of certain things. Yeah. I could see that being the case with this movie. You saw it young enough or you're vulnerable enough mentally. You would say, oh, Duel made me not want to ever drive by myself in the desert mountains. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Well, hey, hey, kids, check your radiator hoses. You know what I mean? Check your fluids and check them often. That's funny. Yeah, that was going to be something I wanted to bring up, too, was how the the radiator hose as a as a plot item comes back to haunt him. <laughs> yeah, I know. He, you know, he just said, you know, in the beginning, he just says so, so flippantly or like, you know, just kind of offhand. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. You're just trying to upcharge me. You're the on boss, this. not my house. <laughs> yeah. And then he has another opportunity at the snake arama which he tries to change it. Yes. But then it gets bungled. Yeah. I like that returning. Yeah. To, to to bite him in the ass. Well, right, because I mean Because that's another thing that happens in real life, especially when you're when you're dealing with your vehicles. There's a lot of times where you're just like, nah, I don't need to do that. Whatever, you know, you, you put off you put off that oil change or you put off yeah. that that uh tune up or you put off putting a little more air in the tire and then before you know it, 
Whammo. Whammo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that, that's the other thing, too. A lot of times these movies, we got to think about the first time you saw it. You know, if you were seeing this for the first time and you didn't know everything that's about to happen, you know, the way that that is played off with the radiator hose, it comes up once, comes up twice. Oh, foreshadowing. But by the time that it actually is a problem, I have forgotten about it because I'm like too in, like encapsulated in his dread about what's going on, you know? And you think he's going to get away. So you can't beat me on the grade. And he's, he's getting away from the truck and then he hits that hill. And yeah. then whammo, here comes that radiator hose back to fucking haunt him. Like if I was seeing this for the first time as an adult, I'm pretty sure I would have forgotten all about it by that point. They can't do the radiator hose bit a third time. They, you know, <laughs> they wouldn't go that far. Whammo. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. Anything else? Uh, no. I mean, I'm sure there will be something that I want to mention on another episode going back, but that's all I can think of. Really not a lot of questions. Okay. Let's move on then. Hi. Help you, mister? You got a telephone. Out in the back. This way? Something for your car. Uh, well, you can, uh, put what ethyl you can get in the tank. All right. Would you mind checking those radiator hoses? I'll do that. Take a look at my snakes if you have time. So now we're in the awards and categories section of the podcast, starting with quotes. And I already mentioned one of mine. Uh, there was the I Play Meat. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's really good. Um, uh, yeah, but this movie is really sparse, but there is shit that I say all the time. Yeah, Get, I, I know I've heard you drop zingers from this one. Yeah, like uh, just just when he's on the he's behind the truck and he's trying to pass him, he's yeah, come on, you fathead, get that fat ass yep. truck out of my way. <laughs> yeah, you miserable fathead, get your fat ass truck out of the way. Yeah, I really That's like. A good one. I really not not so much what is said, but how it's said and the intent when uh, when uh, man kind of calms down and he goes into Chuck's cafe and uh, the 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 cook, the owner, I'm guessing Chuck, says, "Hey, what happened out there, buddy? Ah, oh, just a little complication." And he turns around and goes, look like a big complication to me. And everybody laughs. Just the he's announcing it to the rest of the bar to laugh at him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's Absolutely. good. And then and then in Chuck's Cafe, his whole monologue, I don't know it verbatim, but his whole monologue in that scene where he brings up, you know, something stupid happens out on the road takes maybe 30 minutes out of your whole life and now it's like you're back into the jungle again. That all bit's real good. Yeah, uh, another Chuck Cafe, Chuck's Diner, Chuck Cafe related quote that I liked a lot was when he runs into the the fence post there and the guys see him, the old old guys, and they're coming up to check on him, the one guy. He's like, hey, mister, how you doing? And then he's, he's walking away. He kind of snickers and smiles at the other guy and says, 
it's just a little whiplash is all yeah. basically saying again this guy's just a fucking weenie yeah. whatever <laughs> yeah you know just a little whiplash don't worry about this fucking guy uh yeah that's good yeah uh i also like the old lady that's in the car when they're not they're trying to talk to him they're like just drive away gm just drive away and then she gets surprised when the truck comes and she goes jam <laughs> she really hits that fucking oaky yoke like hillbilly jam <laughs> the delivery is really it more than the the word but it's good yeah okay they're like the 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 Derek Zoolander award for the biggest rube in the movie. I mean, is we we only have so many. <laughs> yeah. Uh, man, Dennis, man, just hey, fucking man. just go home. Just you know, eat <laughs> eat your cheese and rice sandwich. So nice, do it twice. <laughs> you know, right. Um, the Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat Award for Best Wardrobe and Makeup. I guess my thing would have, where I kind of thought about this being the most accurate, would be just the uh, the cowboys and the 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 long haul drivers at Chuck's Diner. Sure. You yeah, know? they they look pretty pretty uh, authentic, pretty fuckable. Yeah. Pretty. Um, so I, I think this counts. This is valid because in movies with robots and shit we can name inanimate things i vote the truck the truck <laughs> because yeah. the truck is the main villain and it, it, it was intended to have a, it has a set i mean it has just as much makeup as everyone else really true you're right um so yeah. you know that, that truck didn't look like that it, it, it they 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 gunked that truck up. They did. It's the in camera. the trivia, actually. Um, but I, I I'm going to say this here as a possible second because I meant to say it in in the good. Uh, again, uh, Dennis Weaver because his ass is looking choice in those fucking slacks when he's running down the road. Woof, boy's been working out. He's got some buns on him, huh? He's got some buns. I actually never, I never take a, taken a look at the buns. Well, but I'll, I'll do it next time. Guess you have to watch it again. Give it, just, just give a gander at them, them, uh, them Wrang- hams. Hey, Wrangler butts drive me nuts. <laughs> like you just say, he must work out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Cosmo Kramer Award for most likely to appear in a Seinfeld episode. I said the Snakerama lady. Oh yeah, I, I said the uh, the the old couple in the car. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Snakerama. Uh, I'm starting to change it though. Snakerama lady is pretty good. <laughs> or she'd you know, be a friend of Kramer's, right? Could be Chuck too from Chuck's Diner. Could be Chuck. That's true. That could be, yeah. you know, it could be an episode where uh, the gang leaves the city mm-hmm. and they get up to like upstate New York and there's a Chuck's Diner up there, Chuck's Cafe. Well, I don't know if you remember. Do you remember the Bubble Boy episode? I don't know. It's got uh, Brian Doyle Murray in it um, where they go out of town uh-huh. and they actually do end up in a different diner <laughs> in upstate New York. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it could be Chuck's. Could be Chuck's. Uh, the Danny Trail Award for the character most likely to have a spinoff. The truck? 
Yeah. No. Well, I mean, yeah, yes. Absolutely, yes. because he's got all those fucking license plates, the chronicles of where he's been before he got to here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you can almost do sort of – well, because I believe they did do a serial version of The Hitcher, but um, do you remember, speaking of hitching, there was a show in the 80s, and I watched it when I was a kid, and I haven't seen it in years, called The Hitch Hiker. Do you remember that at all? Mm-mm. Where it – it chronicled the the adventures of this hitchhiker. So it was a different story each time. The hitchhiker was the narrator. He was the main protagonist. And uh, yeah. Yeah. So maybe, I mean, maybe that- it could be like one of those things where there is a guy like Dennis Weaver who is constantly being pursued. Or maybe the Dennis Weaver character is pursuing the truck driver. So let's say, let's extrapolate this idea. Sure. So let's say the truck driver doesn't end up going off the cliff, mm-hmm. but Dennis Weaver, D man, gets away. Yeah, and what it does is it emboldens him to pursue the truck driver. The truck driver's on his way to find his next next victim, but there's this constant now. There's this an- anthology cat and mouse. Oh, like, where do I go next to find this guy? Because I'm going to stop him. Right. Yeah. He taught me a lesson to stand up for myself. Now I'm going to go and fucking stomp his ass in some motel. Right. But so each episode is just him pursuing him, but obviously he doesn't find him. So and then he interacts with some other sort of antagonist in the show. But then at the end, it's always like. He just, he almost gets the truck driver. Yeah. He sees the headlights of the truck driver. Oh, yeah, that sneaky Pete. He just, <laughs> hey, pun intended, sneaky Pete. It's a Peterbilt truck, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, that sneaky wow. Peter car. <laughs> now, I, I, I like this idea. How about, how about what you're saying? But, okay, so in the next one, yeah, David Mann gets away. And now he's going to pursue the truck driver. So he gets a big-ass semi, too, that's slightly bigger than the tanker. And then in the next one, the tanker overhauls and gets a more souped-up tanker. And they just keep getting bigger and bigger. (laughs) Slightly bigger. Yeah, I like that idea. Yeah, that's good. And, like, you know, the conceit also is that D-Man – because he's got he he got his groove back essentially he found yeah. his balls he got yeah. his balls out of the Dixie cup so he's like well fuck this uh, swine at home and my fucking shitty kids yeah I'm hit I'm hitting the road I'm hitting the road Jack <laughs> yep. and he becomes the truck driver yeah that's actually kind of a sick idea that's pretty good I, I like that that's pretty good okay body count one one. Numero uno. And I mean, it's, is it mysterious? We don't see his body. Right. (laughs) He lives to ride another day. (laughs) Yeah. For all we know, he might still be alive. Sure. I mean, it indicates that something happened because it shows the blood. Is it blood or is it oil? That's true. There is that, there is that, um, that double entendre to it. Mm-hmm. That symbology and symbolism, not symbology, but symbolism of the, the oil being the blood of the man, the, the, the man, David man. And because the really this whole time, the truck was David man. It's all in his mind. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting I'm getting a little excitable about this. Right. One. Oh. 
Just one. Just one. Could be the death of David Mann. Could be the death of the... Anyways, yes. Right. Yeah. All right. Trivia. Wiki wormhole. Oh, there's lots. There's lots. So um, right off the top... We've got time to fill, so go ahead. Yeah. Um, the sound when the tanker goes over the cliff, um, it's the same sound that Jaws makes in the final act when he's getting murdered. Um mm. And actually, it happens twice. It's like a sound of an animal kingdom kind of thing. And um, that is most recognized for most people as the sound that Jaws makes. But this movie clearly came out before Jaws. Um, so that's a you know sound effect that recycled over into another Spielberg film. Mm. Um, so that's one. Uh, this is interesting because I kind of mentioned this. Although the film's producers had suggested that the tanker truck should have exploded in a huge ball of fire for a more effective ending, this would obviously have required the uh, tank to either be partially or completely full of fuel. <clears throat> but if this had been the case, the truck driver would not, uh, not only have been psychotic in his determination to pursue any other vehicle along the highways, was suicidal as well, considering the number of reckless moves and collisions he deliberately and recklessly makes. Tanker or any dangerous cargo vehicles require responsible people behind the wheel. <laughs> Based okay. on the shabby appearance of the Peterbilt truck, one might safely assume that it was empty uh, on its last legs and perhaps even being taken to the scrapyard. Just the, the element that the producers suggested something for a climactic ending. And that's exactly what I like about it, that it didn't happen. I thought it was kind of funny. Yeah. Um, the old couple that's in the car, Jim, those <laughs> people, they're also in close encounters of the third guy. I don't oh. know. I don't know if you knew that. Hmm. Uh, didn't know that. Uh, yeah, this was one of uh, Dennis Weaver's first film roles after he left the television series Gunsmoke. Um, in the one scene of the movie, Weaver's character stops to get gas at a filling station. As he leaves the station in his car, uh, the station worker is seen walking away with a stiff-legged walk, just like Weaver's Gunsmoke character. So our Gomer Pyle character basically assumes his gun smoke appearance hmm. um this little bit i i'm kind of enamored by carrie lofton the stunt driver that drove the truck and it says that you know it looks like it's driving at an outrageously fast speed all the time and that's partially due to um spielberg borrowing a camera car from bullet because bullet was shot what like 69 or something yeah um and allowed the camera to be only six inches off the ground so you could get those real low-profile shots and stuff. The truck was never, all told, going faster than like 30 miles an hour at any time. So yeah. the camera tricks are pretty pretty sweet. But I like this. When Kerry Lofton, playing the truck driver, asked Steven Spielberg what his motivation for the tormenting of the car's driver, Spielberg told him, you're a dirty, rotten, no-good son of a bitch. Lofton replied, Kid, you hired the right man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. Uh, I do actually remember that quote. 
Yeah, you kind of mentioned about, uh, according to Richard Matheson, he was inspired to write the original short story of Duel after an encounter with a tailgating truck driver on November 22nd, 1963, the day that uh, John F. Kennedy died, uh, assassinated. Um, and then during the chase, uh, a parked sedan resembling a squad car is briefly uh, seen by Dennis Weaver and gets his hopes up. And um, on the side of it, it's it actually turns out to be a pest exterminator, and the name is uh, Greb Leaps. That's Spielberg backwards. Oh, okay. Um, whatever. Um, and then there's lots of little shots. I think there's 17 actually, uh, where Spielberg is seen in like a reflection. The one that you can see the best is in the phone booth, right before man jumps out to and the truck smashes into it you can see spielberg standing there filming <laughs> ah yeah some amateur moves um and then of course what i had mentioned about inflating the runtime to um be feature length added scenes after the fact after the movie had already come out in post it went back and and stuck some stuff in there to have it run in theaters. Yeah. Well, great. There's there's lots of really interesting like car kind of trivia shit. Like the sure. the I can't remember the model, but that Peter built truck that they got they got three of them. Um, they mostly used one of them, um, and just what they had to do to constantly make it look evil. They just like shellacked it with oil and shit because the truck is pink. And actually in the book, it's pink too. But you wouldn't know. The only shot where you see it's it's pink at all, it's the backside of one of the fender wheel wells. You can kind of see it. But they just – they it was said that the truck got more makeup than anybody else. They just constantly be fucking greasing it down and spraying it with oil and dirt. And, you know, <laughs> rust patina to make it just look like hellish and, you know, ready for the grave. Yeah. Yeah. And I did kind of, I don't know if this was intentional by picking a valiant car, but I, I would make the, the, the association in my mind that what they were trying to say was he's making a valiant effort. Sure. To well, get away. Yeah, and I mean there was a there was an intentional reason for having it being red. Um, obviously, it helps to to pick it out of the you know sparse background of the desert. Yeah, but you know it's kind of a, a little Red Riding Hood kind of yeah. homage. Totally. You know. Yeah, that's 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 interesting. So that makes that makes sense. Yeah. Okay, well, it's time to come up with our iconography, rate the movie, and do all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So, out of five, what? Uh, it really perturbs me that David Mann orders a fucking rye and Swiss cheese sandwich. <laughs> so I would say out of five rye and cheese sandwiches. Okay. I like that. So I will say that I'm going to give this 
going to be four rye and cheese sandwiches and a half eaten one. Yeah. I was four gonna, and a half. I was going to say the same. I, I, I really find almost no error with this film. And it's it's good on years and years of return viewings. So, uh, yeah, four and a half rye cheese sandwiches. You can just keep eating these rye and cheese sandwiches. <laughs> Fuck. Cle- clearly, man, he's into it. It's not even on the menu. He just comes up with that shit. <laughs> yeah. God, shaking my head. What the fuck? Of all the sandwiches you would just come up with, too. Jeez. Yeah, it's real specific. Anyway, whatever. Well, as far as this being a midnight movie, I guess we could say probably not. Hell no. Hell no. This is this was made predicated on being a TV movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, 6 p.m.? You know, early, uh, late matinee f- featurette on, on television. AM, uh, Turner almost- Classic Movie, cl- staple movie. I could almost see this being a Sunday matinee flick that you could you could see back to back, even with a John Wayne movie. Sure, yeah, with your favorite western, something like Genghis Khan. Oh, dude, that movie! (laughs) Holy (laughs) shit! (laughs) Fucking John Wayne is Genghis Khan. I'm Genghis Khan. (laughs) Yeah, they didn't. (laughs) Yeah, okay. We could talk about that. It would be a little. It would, that would be another one out of the out of the wheelhouse a little bit, but that's all right. Oh my god! It is said that that is like the most dead, deadly, and stupidest movie ever made. So many people died from the downwinding, uh, you know, cancer because they shot it out in the fucking desert in like Nevada or Utah or something. Hey, right, where it was a blast site. <laughs> I know. Amazing, amazing. Uh. All right. Well, so it's time for me to pick. All right. And, you know, there's there's options here. And I'm, I'm, I'm honing in on a couple specifically. And I'm wondering if I should just keep within the kind of the theme that we've kind of started with this. Yeah. As far as being a road movie. Oh, I like road movies. Of, a vehicularly themed movie. So why not? Actually, you know what? No, I remember because I was going back and forth between two specifically, but I think we're going to do this one because we brought up Richard Matheson. Yeah. This is on my list. So I think for the next time we're going to talk about the last man on earth, Oh, which was based off of, I am legend. Uh huh. It's going to be our first Vincent Price flick. Okay. I, we failed to mention off the top. This was also our first Steven Spielberg movie, right? So we got we got we got a we we got a, a Steven Spielberg uh, flick in the can. So now it's time to do a Vincent Price one. We're killing two birds with one stone. Well, three? No, just one. We're just killing one bird. By bringing uh, our man Vincent Price on, I really love this movie a lot. It's uh, taking us back into the wayback machine, which we've needed to do because mm-hmm. we 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 came up into the '80s here. We did a whole block of '80s related movies for Flicktober. Now let's go 
back since we're going back from the 70s do an old timey flick let's go back in time baby i'm into it sounds great okay so next time we're gonna talk about the last man on earth all right okay this has been another deep dive into Midnight Movie Madness. Big thanks to Charlotte Blythe for creating our intro music. Our outro music is provided by who? Uh, it's Phoenix Yellow Cake. This is off of their self-titled album, and the song will be Can You See the Future? Excellent. I have actually never heard this band before. This will be the first time. Oh, they're real good. I've heard them. I've seen. I've seen the name. If you like uh, pretty ripping kind of raw punky beat, and you like sacrilege, you're gonna like it. It's sticking some boxes for me, so I think I will. And if you need to get a hold of us, you can always email us at midnightfootspod at gmail.com. You can follow us on the socials at, at midnightfootspodcast. And signing off, I am Adam Walker, and. For Brandon Hayden, aka Jim. We'll see you next time.